0: Your Locked On Blue Jackets, your daily podcast on the Columbus Blue Jackets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey guys, happy Friday. I hope the weather is is really great for you. It is beautiful and sunny here. Um This is Locked on Blue Jackets. We are part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Jay Foster. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app. Join me later today at 7 Eastern to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. It is a pretty pretty exciting day for me today. Uh, This is officially the 100th episode of Locked on Blue Jackets. Uh, It's been a whole... Almost a year since I started doing this, and it's been better and better each month. I've had an absolute riot doing this, and I can't wait for the next hundred episodes. Um, so to celebrate, I figured I would bring someone special in. Uh, so today I will be talking to Alison Lucan, uh, former of the Athletic, currently of First Ohio Battery. She writes stat pieces. She writes narrative-driven stuff. Uh, you've probably seen her piece on why players use the handedness of sticks that they use. Um, And, you know, she has a ton more really, really cool articles. Uh, I had an absolute blast talking to her. She's super smart, super great. Uh, And if you're not following her, then you definitely should be. So I will just get right into that conversation. So on this very special uh, 100th episode of Locked on Blue Jacket, I have uh, one of my personal favourite people who cover the Columbus Blue Jackets. I've got Alison Lucan here, um, who does just a ton of really cool uh, advanced stats work, kind of deep dives into narratives. Uh, just if you, if you wanna know about hockey, then Alison is, is the person to is the person to follow. Um, so how, how are you doing today, Alison?
1: <laughs> well, I should pay you for that very kind intro, Jay. Thank you so much. I'm well, thanks for having me on the show. What a special occasion, congratulations.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, it's weird. I, I only realized like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh wait, it's my hundredth episode is is coming up. That came up fast. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. But so I figured we'd start off just kind of talking a little bit about like, what kind of drew you to this advanced stats work that like, is the, like when I think of like the, kind of the writing that you do, the first thing I think about is like all of the cool, um, like fancy stats stuff that you do and the interesting, like, it feels like you're doing things that not a lot of other people are doing. So, kind of what drew you to that that side of, of hockey?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's funny. It's it's a it's a two part answer, and and the first answer is is easy in that I was obviously watching the game, and I felt like I was seeing things that, ironically, for people who pick on quote unquote stats nerds, my eyes were seeing things that were not being captured in the kinds of things that we look at in a game. Um, And so I wanted to find additional information that helped me see how a team was performing or how a player was performing. And ironically, the other part of of what happened right around the same time is I was just getting into paid writing um, and I was doing a story on Cam Atkinson and I was writing about how he was a consistent scorer, but the number of games he played every season was different. And so I realized if we just look at stat lines, um, we're not even t- telling the whole story there. And so that was when I started to even think about things like looking at percentages and rates um, and really telling the story of what does a player do when they are on the ice and acknowledging that that how much they're on the ice matters too. So all of these questions and all of these different ways of thinking about the game kind of coincided with um, some thought leaders out there in the hockey analytics space starting to publish their work. and. Uh, as they say, the rest is is history. That's how it all began.
0: <laughs> so, what, what's kind of been your favorite favorite stat thing that you've that you've worked on? Um, like, what's the, What's been the most surprising thing that you've learned, kind of from from your own research?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think um, it's two different answers. I think the favorite things um, I worked on were from. The Blue Jackets Tampa Bay series um, and those playoffs a couple of years ago, um, it was very, very cool to bring together numbers, what everyone was seeing and everyone was shocked by, um, and also the words of the coaches and players um, into breaking down the two key things that were huge in that series, which were the four check um, and the penalty kill. So those are my two favorite pieces analytically um, of all time. I've done some non-analytics pieces that I really like too, but those are my two favorite analytics pieces. Um, And I think those in part have me kind of chasing now what I want to tackle next. And and the problem is we don't have the data readily available. And that's looking at things like um, transition play. You know We saw it with the Blue Jackets this year, they couldn't get out of their own zone but how bad or how good was it? Was it a specific player's problem or was it a team problem or was it a systems problem? And we don't have numbers, our eyes tell us it's bad but we don't know who might be worse or who might be better. We don't know how that compared to other teams in the league. Um, And so that's the kind of work that I'm really chasing now is more about transitional play and systems play and how that interacts with how a team performs
0: yeah that's super cool because I know like I know again when I've been watching the games it's very much a case of I know that what they're doing is bad I can't like (laughs) I can't like put my finger like specifically in transitions I guess but also like the season was kind of a a nightmare on on all counts but like I know that what's happening is not good but I also can't put my finger on like why and like you said whether it is a specific player or whether it's a system or whether it's just you know bad bad luck so it's It is fun to kind of think about well is it this reason is it that reason and maybe kind of hopefully an answer before before next season starts (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) hopefully next season will be less like this Um, Indeed. can you so can you talk a little bit about like kind of the um the importance of like how you present your information and how you kind of shape your writing because again like as someone who, uh, like, I was, I was an English major in college. I very much am not like, like, I like the idea of fancy stats and stuff. Um, I think it's, it's really cool. It's really interesting. I'm not a math person in any way, shape, or form. And so, what's really interesting to me about your writing is it always seems super accessible in a way that sometimes stats work isn't. So, could you? I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like how, how you kind of put that together and how you make it, um, how you make it so accessible for like the average, the average hockey fan like me who maybe doesn't, doesn't do math
1: (laughs) for sure. No. And I think it's, this is, this is something I I spend a lot of time on actually. And I think the first thing that you have to do is if you're going to work with numbers really of any kind, I mean, even basic stuff um, you have to understand what you're talking about. So I spend a lot of time listening reading to all the people in the analytics community who are so much smarter than I am, who are doing you know, the advanced analytical modeling and doing really complex math things that give us the ideas that we can then look for as far as what does and doesn't impact play. So I spend a lot of time understanding that um, before I even present anything. And, and I'll give an example, you know, I've seen some people kind of enter into this advanced analytics space And they look at a number and I love that they're trying. And I think that's great. I'm not trying to criticize anyone, but they start throwing out a number, but they're misusing it. For example, they're throwing out a number, but not mentioning whether it's all situations or five on five play, because that does matter in terms of whether a number means something. Um, They also sometimes will throw out numbers and not look at how much a player is being used. You know, for example, if we said that, uh, you know, it, it, I was just writing about Patrick Liney, and Patrick Liney had three goals in his first three games. Well, if you say that, and that's the only stat you go with, and you say, that means he's a point per game player. That's only three games. It's not enough, right? It's not a big enough sample size. And so I've seen people do that too. Um, even with a player like Emil Bemstrom, they'll look at an advanced analytic and say, Bemstrom is better because of this number, but Emil Bemstrom played like a hundred minutes this season. That's not relevant enough time to really judge his performance with those numbers, and we know that if we understand the work behind the mathematics. So you first have to understand what you're using and make sure you're using it properly, Um, and then from there, what you have to do is find words that make sense to people. That's something that I'm thankful I get to go in the room and talk to coaches and players because. I cannot go up to a player and say, hey, your Corsi is this and your Fenwick is that and your expected goals is this. They don't care and they don't have to care. That's not their job. But if I can say, hey, it seems like you guys are getting a lot of really high quality chances more than your opponent these days. Does it feel like that? What are you doing? Um, so I have to translate anything that's called something that, isn't, that wouldn't make sense to Joe on the street. I have to turn that into something that makes sense to Joe on the street before I talk to the players or coaches and before I write it. And I think that that talking to the coaches and players is a luxury I have. That's kind of the third piece of the puzzle is that I can have an idea that's an analytics presented idea, but I want to hear if people who play the game actually think it's relevant. And so it's their words that I try and use a lot more than mine. I will explain what I'm presenting in my writing and give the data. But when it comes to what it means and how it works as much as I can, I always try and use the words of, of those who are actually doing it um, or experts at it. Um, so that those are kind of the, the key steps in, in how I like to think about what I call data-driven storytelling.
0: Do you find that the, the players and the coaches are like receptive to that because I feel like there's a big thing in, in sports right now, which is oh, the players don't care about advanced stats. They just want to play the game and stuff. But it, I always feel like you you seem to get really interesting and kind of thoughtful answers from some of the guys like Cam Atkinson um, is what is one that comes to mind. So do you find that the players are kind of responsive to, to these ideas when you bring them to them or is it very much a case of they they do just want to play the game?
1: They are receptive, but again, You know, it's it and Nick Foligno and I have joked about this, he he is not a lot of those guys are not, quote unquote, stats guys. And again, that's okay. I believe that a player's job is to play and it's a coach's job or a front office's job to look at what data is telling them. And then they help coach the player with what they should be doing on the ice, what the behavior is. Um, So I have zero issue if the players give me a hard time in the room or tease me. And and they have from time to time, which is hilarious. I love it. Um, But again, I think the reason they talk to me is because I don't go in there and say the numbers say this and that and the other thing. I ask them about what the numbers reveal to me. So, you know, an example is there was just exit interviews and I just talked about transition play. We know the Blue Jackets couldn't get out of their own zone. Our eyes saw that the numbers tell us that. So when I go to Seth Jones, I don't say, hey, your exits were really low. Now that might actually be something that, that resonates with him because that's some similar terminology. But I say to him, you know, this, this group was usually really strong defensively. What was going into the fact that, you know, teams just seem to be able to take more advantage of you this year. And the numbers told me that the defense wasn't as good. But what I ask him is, what was going on with the defense? And if, and then I say, you know, what was happening with um, getting the puck out of the zone? It seemed to be a struggle at the beginning of the season. Again, the numbers told me that, but I don't go in with a whole bunch of numbers. So that's where that translation is just so key.
0: Uh, coming up in just a minute, I've got more of my conversation with Alison. But first, I've got to tell you about Wealthfront. Decades of data show that investors that trade individual stocks underperform the market every year. In fact, only 1% of day traders end up beating the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone, so why don't you team up with Wealthfront instead? Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. There's no manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all the investing based on price differences you control. And they can even help you lower the taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, their tax-loss harvesting can more than cover the low annual 0.25% advisory fee. And best of all, it's automatic. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can join the group by getting your first $5,000 managed for free. Go to wealthfront.com slash lockdown NHL. Once again, that is wealthfront.com slash lockdown NHL to get your first $5,000 managed for free for life. That is W E A L T H F R O N T dot com slash lockdown NHL, and you can start growing your savings with Wealthfront today. That kind of ties ties neatly neatly into kind of the next thing um, I was wanting to talk about, which is kind of the the importance of narrative in stories. Again, like so, your st- like the stats work is great, but like one of my all time favorite pieces is the um, the piece that you did on stick handedness. So, like <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of thing, I think is it's it's a similar it's a similar thing. You have to kind of pull a narrative out of the numbers and translate that, but like what would, what's your kind of dream deep dive narrative based story? Like what, what is the one thing that you, if you could, you know, sit down tomorrow and write any piece about hockey narrative, like what, what would it be?
1: Oh, interesting and, and not numbers based, right? Is that yeah. what we're, okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, there, there are so many questions um, that I would love to explore. So I have a degree in leadership studies, which is part of what Torts and I always loved to talk about is leadership and team building and, um, I would love to be able to get into a hockey locker room and really observe the dynamics behind all these things that we hear about good in the room, um, you know, no mind games, total honesty, all of these cliches that so many teams use how does leadership really work in a hockey locker room? And, and I, I respect that that probably will never happen because um, teams have to be protective of that because that in the wrong hands um, is probably misrepresented. Um, but I would love to really understand um, the team, di- team dynamic, the communication, how do, how do lines come together in chemistry? What, what goes into the fact that Seth Jones and Zach Worensky play so well together? all of that kind of team dynamic stuff that's bigger than X's and O's, which I really do think matters, um, that would be my dream story to just kind of embed in a locker room for an entire season.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so cool. As, like, I was talking about that um, on Tuesday's episode of the podcast a little bit actually about how, you know, John Tortorella, um, this might be kind of a, a hot take, but I feel like one of John Tortorella's strengths is actually not necessarily his skill on the ice. It's how he talks to the players in the locker room. Mm-hmm. You no, know, like totally. I think about that speech from before Game One of the Tampa sweep, and and that's that speech that he gave there, and I was, you know, that's that's the most interesting thing to me. And again, like Nick Felino is obviously, you know, he's generally considered to be a fantastic captain. You know, one of the one of the be- better captains in the NHL, I think. But what what makes him such a good captain? One
1: hundred percent. You know, it's, it's really
0: it's really interesting
1: same for me same for me especially for someone like Nick whose first season as captain was just a disaster <laughs> and so yeah, how exactly. did he how did he evolve as a and he's talked about it some you know he, he shares some thoughts there but all of that stuff I love it I just I love to dig into it for sure
0: yeah especially with like the the story that came out of John Tortorella being like I don't think Nick can be captain and then <laughs> well you know I- he's kind of evolved into into yeah. this this guy that I think every single person on the team would run through a wall for, for Nick now.
1: Well, you know, it is, sometimes it's it's funny to me, like when Torts told Nick that, we knew that that year. And so it's kind of, it, you know, some people who hadn't heard that story before were like, oh, and we were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> we know. He, he told us that. Like we knew that the year after it happened, both of them were talking about it, which again, I think speaks to that honesty that Torts always bred is that Torts told the media and Torts had already told the player and the player acknowledged it, like, and and the player acknowledged that that, in part, was a challenge to him to become a better leader. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it's all just fascinating. But, yeah, we, we did know that story. But I, I also recognize that there are some people who weren't around then who didn't know that that was already a thing. And it wasn't, like, super scandalous or him throwing Nick under the bus.
0: <laughs> yeah. It kind of, in light of... Um... Aaron Portsline's article last week about this narrative of Columbus being hard to kind of entice players to to keep players uh it kind of came out that players don't really feel valued sometimes especially RFAs you know there's a lot there was a lot of talk about Jamaica Kalainen playing kind of hardball with contracts and stuff um what are some of the things that you think could be done by the team to kind of help those players feel more valued or kind of more motivated to get involved with the community because I feel like the strength of columbus and i've been lucky enough to spend you know a fair amount of time in columbus is you know it's such a great city i love columbus it's one of my favorite places to go and i think the the sooner players learn that the sooner they're like oh actually this is like this is rad this is this is a place i want to be so what do you think the the team could do to kind of help players with that transition into oh columbus is is a boring city to actually this is a great city and also i feel lucky to play here
1: yeah. So I, th- I think it's, it's a two level question. I mean, let's first, let's talk about the city itself. So a couple thoughts on that. Here, here's the reality. The reality is that a lot of people don't know what Columbus is or where it is at in other jobs. I've had people ask me, what time zone is Columbus? Like, it's just, it's just not a marquee city. That's okay. There are tens of thousands of cities in this country that people don't know about and that's okay. Um, but the, and there are millions of people, who all have different opinions on where they want to live. For me, for for example, I would love to live in Manhattan someday. My husband does not want to live in Manhattan ever. (laughs) I personally would never want to live in Los Angeles. It's not because I think it's terrible. That's just not the way I would like to live. There are different places we all want to live and there are different places we all like. So, and I'm not saying this to you, I'm saying this to everyone. I'm kind of over the whole like sell Columbus thing because the reality is that Everyone's gonna feel differently about a lot of different cities and that's okay. Um, that being said, you know I think that it's also valuable to realize what a hockey player's life is really like. Unless they live in the city full-time, they're in a city in which they play for half the year, maybe seven, eight months, and half of that time in a normal world, they're away from the city, they're on the road, they're traveling because they visit every other NHL city. And then when they are in the city, a lot of that time they're sleeping or they're at the rink. So we're talking about a very small window of time in which they get to, quote unquote, experience the city. And and as was in that article, I think what's very important to remember, too, is that this is why the arena district is so important, is that if you come into this city, let's say it's on the second half of a back-to-back, you fly in super late, you take a bus from the airport to downtown, you go to your hotel, you wake up the next morning, you go to the rink to skate, you go back to your hotel, you take a nap, then you pack up, you go back to the rink to play a game and you're out of there. So that's all you've seen of Columbus. That's it, <laughs> that, that's on which your perception is based. So we have to recognize that. Um, but knowing that's, that's all I will say about the city, but what I think the team needs to do is a little bit more player focused. So for people who weren't around back when Rick Nash played for the team, this the Blue Jackets and Rick Nash were synonymous. And people who go to the chillers, you still see, there are banners with Rick Nash everywhere. Rick Nash was the face of the franchise. And every year the franchise used to put out posters and it was always like a group of players. One year it was them, you know, sitting around pretending to play poker. One year, I forget what one year was, but it was always a poster. It was always these faces of the franchise. And after Rick Nash was traded, the franchise made an intentional decision. They talked about it. This isn't some big secret that they were no longer going to focus on individual players. They were going to focus on the team. And this is also because they were rebuilding. This is when Brandon Dubinsky comes into town. Nick Felino comes into town. Sergei Bobrovsky comes into town. So they didn't know what they were going to be, but the f- focus was on team. Well, I think it's time for the organization to allow their players to once again be stars. There should be posters of Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Elvis Merzlikens around the city. There should, put Elvis Merzlikins on a, a talk show. My gosh, people would fall in love with him. Take Seth Jones to... You know, an opening of a, of a cool restaurant or a cool wine shop or something like that. Like these players are interesting, they're compelling, they would make great marketing subjects, and they would also feel that specialness from the city more so than just when they're in the rank. So I think marketing the players is key.
0: Come back in just a minute. I've got more in my conversation with Allison, but first I've got to tell you about Built Bar.
1: You know, we've been talking about
0: Built Bar for a while. Do you love? Health food, do you love delicious candy bars? Do you like combining both of those things into one guilt-free delicious snack? Well, Built Bar is for you. They've got nine incredible flavors plus limited flavors that I feel like every couple of days, there's something new and exciting on their website. if you talk to a Bilt Bar fan, you know, they all have their favourites. My personal favorite is the mint brownie. I love that mint chocolate combination, but they also have double chocolate. They've got cherry, they've got coconut, they've got salted caramel. They've got something for everyone. And not only are they the best tasting protein bar, they are good for you as well. They are high protein, high fiber, low carb, low sugar. They're great if you're on keto. There's only 130 calories in them. If you, you know, are the kind of guy that goes to the gym, wants an extra kick of protein in your diet, then Built Bar is great for that. Or if, like me, you're someone that doesn't eat breakfast often enough and wants to start your day off the right way, Built Bar is for you. And the best part is if you go to BuiltBar.com right now, use promo code LOCKED15, you're going to get 15% off your first order. Once again, that's promo code LOCKED15 and you get 15% off at BuiltBar.com. I've also got to tell you about Bet Online. Uh, BetOnline the other day released their odds for where Jack Eichel is going to be traded to. Apparently, they think that there are 10 to 1 odds that he is traded to the Blue Jackets. So if that's something you want to put your money on, BetOnline.ag is the place for you. They've also got MLB, NBA, UFC, MMA, as well as NHL action. If there is a sport happening right now, then BetOnline.ag probably has the odds and props for it available. So, before the next pitch, make sure you head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device, check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the bench anymore, this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Use code, promo code on or one word when you sign up today, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That means if you put $100 in, they will give you $50 on top of that. If you put $200 in, they will give you $100 on top of that. It's that easy. Once again, that is promo code locked on all one word betonline.ag. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.
1: So I think marketing the players is key, um, and I also think then for the time that the players are in the city, take some time to get to know your players and find out what they like. If this is a young guy who likes a certain type of clothing and a certain type of food, show him where he can get that in Columbus. Show him where he can get things from his home country if he's perhaps European or Russian or even Canadian. How can he feel at home when he's there? Connect him with other players. Um, do the little things, and, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen, but you know, make sure everyone gets their, uh, their birthday celebrated. Make, make these players feel special in ways that doesn't necessarily mean dropping another cool five, six, seven million on their contract if that's not a thing that you can do. Um, But the final piece is in fact financial. And, you know, I I thought that there were some valuable comments in that article. They all, none of them were shocking to me. I thought they were all fair, but you know, if you're going to play hardball with players, if that's your negotiation style and that's valid, you have to realize that you may see that in return when you need something and and that's negotiation in anything. So if, if there's, if there's a really cutting it close on previous contract negotiations or um, saying you can't do this and this is what we're gonna do and we're not gonna budge. And again, these are my words. These are not words that I know for a fact have been said in negotiations. Then when a player comes time to be in control and they say, this is what I want and I'm not budging, that has to be expected. Um, And I think that it's an interesting juxtaposition against a sport that talks about loyalty and team and I think maybe that's what's hard about it is that, you know, these players talk about team and playing for one another on every team they do. Um, and then when you're faced with maybe something that doesn't feel that way, maybe sometimes that's hard to reconcile. But I do think that there are quite a few things that can be done. And, and I think that the city too, I, I don't understand. And I grew up here, I, I you know, it's Ohio State football is great, God bless, but not every city is fortunate enough to have a tier one major league sports team in their city. And, and acknowledging what this can be about and supporting this team, um, I think is something that this city should appreciate that they have. Look at these cities that lost have lost teams and what an impact it is for them. Um, the city is so lucky to have this. They're so lucky to have the arena district with three teams now all within walking distance of one another Um, that should really be taken advantage of and celebrated by the city in addition to Ohio State football. Ohio State football should not be the only focus um, from a sports perspective in this town and that is the end of my rant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey that was that was a really good rant like 10 10 out of 10 for that Um, and I feel like the the city is totally on board with this as well like i like whenever again whenever i'm in columbus like i always see blue jacket jerseys around and yeah i i know that this whole kind of team identity is important but uh, i've been saying it my friends have been saying it market these players like you have mm-hmm. elvis muslims he is one of the like the most dynamic exciting players that we've had in in a very very long time Right. You should you should do something like that. You know the name, the the way he plays, like the the city is waiting to fall in love with a guy like Elvis. And it is it is extremely frustrating to me and like some of my friends who are also fans that the team doesn't seem to really kind of doesn't seem to want to do that. Like we had the carpool with the captain stuff, which I loved. Was great. Great. Um, like just top tier social media um engagement, but then like. After that, there hasn't really there hasn't really been a lot of stuff that like helps new fans connect with the players, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I well, and you know, and I agree. And you know, even I, I tease here too. I mean, I obviously have apps for the local news networks on my phone. And I'll get an alert on my phone that Ryan Day is talking about practice. Like I, I don't care that the head coach of a college football team is talking about practice in the spring. Now, I get Michigan Week and all that stuff. And again, I'm not crapping on Ohio State. It's a wonderful thing. It has made this city great. It's done a lot for this city and vice versa. But if you're going to push a news alert that a college football coach is holding a media availability about practice, just look around and make sure that you have the Columbus crew, you have the Columbus Blue Jackets. The crew just won a national championship. Are you giving them the same kind of airtime that you're giving? This college football program. Are we making sure we open the window to the residents of this city who maybe don't know about hockey or the Blue Jackets that this team also exists?
0: Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just to just to kind of finish off. Um, obviously, John Tortorella is is no longer is no longer the head coach. Um, what kind of skills do you think are important for this group of players specifically? Because I feel like the problem with Tortorella is he was. A perfect coach for the 2015 2016 blue jackets and they kind of i don't think outgrew him specifically but i feel like tortorella has kind of a, a a shelf life shall we say so like what kind of skills do you think are important for this group of players that you would want to see from from this new coach and are there any kind of any kind of people out there that you think yes these this is the guy that i want them to to hire
1: yeah, that's a great question, you know, and, and and I, it's funny, I know some people have said they don't believe in shelf life, they believe in fit, and, and I'm kind of starting to agree with that, because, I mean, we've all had bosses that have been in positions for a lot longer than six years, and, and some of them can remain effective. I mean, this this was a different roster, this was a different year. Um, I think it was a combination of things that led to this decision, and that's okay, that's fine. Um, I I wonder what they're going to do, because the the usual pattern is that after you have kind of a hard-nosed coach, you go to what's called a player's coach, someone who's a little more player friendly, a little bit more soft, maybe um, touchy feely, encouraging. And and what's ironic is we say this based on what we see, not what goes on in the room, because we always hear stories of how Torts, Elvis talked about how Torts is very different off the ice than what people see on the ice. So they usually go towards a player's coach. If that happens, I think that's fine. But what I think is going to be the challenge is who is then going to be the voice of accountability that Torts brought into the room. Torts was the voice of do things the right way, hold everyone accountable, say the tough things because they need to be said. And if this new coach doesn't have that, that is okay. But who is going to do that in the room? Does Cam Atkinson do that? Does Seth Jones do that if he's still here? Um, There needs to be that accountability. So that can come from the coach. But if it doesn't, it needs to come from the players that are in the room. I also think that a new coach does need to find ways to explore offensive creativity. Um, Torts was always uh, just go out there and play um, and be really sound defensively. But I think perhaps with some younger players who maybe are finding it more difficult to figure out how to produce in the biggest and best league in the world when they've produced at other levels, that maybe some more work there um, might help. Um, But they have to have have someone who keeps some of those defensive tenants. Um, And and I think it has to be someone with progressive thinking because this roster as it's built right now with its strength, um, we talk about this all the time, the defense is the engine. So this cannot be a stereotypical coach who wants, you know, stay at home, big burly defenseman. This has to be a coach that embraces that aggressive, almost forward-esque defensive play particularly from players like Zach Zachkorensky and Seth Jones
0: yeah 100% you want you want someone that's gonna um, encourage the the rover like
1: yep exactly
0: it all um, exactly so yeah I, I know that you have a, a hard a hard break now um, so we'll we'll finish up there uh, but just really quickly um, if people want to kind of follow you or read more of your work uh, where can they where can they find you and and your pieces?
1: Yep. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Allison L. Pretty much everything I do uh, funnels through there. And and most of my writing this past season has been at First Ohio Battery. Um, Got some stuff going on over there and um, hopefully a couple other places coming online here in the future. So everything I do can be found on my Twitter.
0: Uh, I think that's all the time I have for today. Uh, Once again, this has been just an absolute riot uh i've had such a good time with my last 100 episodes i'm looking forward to the next 100 and hopefully you know bigger brighter things i'm really excited about what we're doing this off season so if you don't already make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast app of your choosing you can find us wherever you get your podcasts apple spotify odyssey wherever You can follow me on Twitter at JayTheGoalie. If you want more Blue Jackets news in your life, you can follow the podcast at LO underscore Blue Jackets. And if you have comments, questions, or criticism, you can email me at LockedOnBlueJackets at gmail.com. And until Monday, make sure you stay locked on.